Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 258. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Christmas is almost here. Santa's sleigh is packed. And NORAD's getting ready to track his course. Because thankfully, the NORAD budget is one thing that hasn't yet been impacted by the stupidest Congress on record. Or by Scrooge Tuberville. Yet. But even in these final days before Christmas, now is still a time to stay vigilant. Thank you. Let me go to Jeff Shogel. Thank you. Can the Defense Department provide a breakdown of assets and personnel that will be involved in escorting Santa Claus on December 24th and 25th? Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Um, unfortunately, that's controlled unclassified information. <laughs> Uh, but I can assure you that we will ensure that Santa gets wherever he needs to go uh, safely and securely. Um, but uh, all joking aside, I know that our, our teammates at uh, NORAD uh, Northcom will have much more information to provide uh, on Santa's trip this holiday season. So, uh, and uh, I'm sure he'll be on time and in, uh, in place for Christmas. So thank you. Yes, to all you good little independent boys and girls, this is the season of giving. And this season, the giving of crazy news just keeps on giving. The news elves have been especially generous and creative this year. Rocket attacks continue on U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria and the Red Sea. War rages in Ukraine. Fighting in Gaza has intensified as has the division it's creating in America and worldwide. And a freaking volcano erupted in Iceland. And there's some good news. The Senate confirmed nearly a dozen nominees for top military posts this week, marking the end of Senator Tommy Tuberville's remaining holds over senior promotions. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer got a deal done to confirm all 11 nominees for four-star positions by voice vote. And thus ends one of the most asinine, unnecessary, and reckless political charades in modern history. Nothing but coal in the stocking for little, very little, Tommy Tuberville this year. But forever a spot in American history as one of the dumbest and most selfish senators of all time. In what might be an early Christmas present to our democracy, the Colorado Supreme Court has ruled that Donald Trump is disqualified from the 2024 presidential ballot. It's the first court to find that the disqualification clause of the 14th Amendment applies to Trump because he engaged in insurrection. Yeah, insurrectionists shouldn't be allowed to run for president. It's kind of bad for the whole democracy thing, you know? About time a court recognized that. But on to the Supreme Court. And given who's on that... Don't hold your breath on that one. But even in the midst of the good news, there's no shortage of crazy news in this giving season and news that our enemies are celebrating. Because 2023 has been a rough one, and we're likely in for an even rougher 2024. One filled not with presents and toys, but with conflict. Conflict. Domestic and especially foreign. 
And in our last episode before Christmas, I'm going to reach even deeper into my own Santa Rykoff bag of gifts to bring in another exceptionally experienced strategic military leader to bring us an early Christmas present of analysis. It's the perfect companion to our conversations over this year focused on Ukraine and Israel, and the perfect follow-up to our conversation last episode with General Barry McCaffrey. He's one of the most influential military minds of our time. He's the former CENTCOM commander, former director of the CIA, and now a partner and chairman of the Global Institute at KKR. He's General David H. Petraeus. There are only a handful of people out there that have the experience, credibility, and gravitas to speak with authority when it comes to NATO, Putin, Gaza, and all of it. These are high-level issues and complex systems that require decades of study and experience to be thought through and to truly comprehend. So when you get a chance to hear from one of them like we did last week with General Barry McCaffrey, we jump on it. And when we get a chance to talk to another one a week later... You better bet we're jumping again on that. I've known General Petraeus for over 20 years. He served alongside me on the board at Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. He's been very active in the veterans community, supporting other great groups like Team Rubicon and others. And he's got a heck of a resume. He graduated with distinction from West Point and is the only person in Army history to graduate at the top of the demanding U.S. Army Ranger School and the U.S. Army's year-long Command and General Staff College. He's got a Ph.D. from Princeton in addition to a number of other academic accolades and being selected to the Time 100 list and Foreign Policy Magazine's Top 100 Public Intellectuals in three different years. He's got lots of military awards and honors, including four Defense Distinguished Service Medals, the Bronze Star for Valor, two NATO Meritorious Medals, and he's been decorated by 14 countries and is believed to be the only person who, while in uniform, threw out the first pitch of a World Series game and did the coin toss for a Super Bowl. And alongside Andrew Roberts, he's also the best-selling author of the new book, Conflict, The Evolution of Warfare from 1945 to Ukraine. And he's here now as an early Christmas present to all you good little independent boys and girls with a strategic analysis of all that's going on in the world and a bit of a leadership lesson. Welcome to a holiday season of global tension and strife. Welcome to a Christmas of conflict. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 258.
Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, we have a very special holiday treat, someone that I have been hoping to get on this show for a very long time and looking forward to, a important leader, uh, especially in times like this, a man I've been honored to know and work alongside of, and now the author of the now best-selling uh, new book, Conflict, the great and powerful General David Petraeus finally joins us on Independent Americans. Welcome, sir. Good to be with you, Paul. Thanks. It's great to finally have you here. We've worked together on many issues. We've served alongside each other on the IAVA board. You've been a great teacher and mentor to me and many others. Um, let me ask you a question I ask of everybody to start, sir. Where are you and how are you? I'm doing great. Just back from a two-week trip that literally went all the way around the world. Uh, started out in the UAE and then eventually went to Southeast Asia and came home via San Francisco. Um, in Arlington, Virginia, uh, in our house for a couple of days and then get back on the road again quickly before we shut down for the Christmas break. Is it, a, is it a break of any kind for the holidays for you, sir? You spent so many Absolutely. years overseas in uniform and in No, we're going to, the whole family's going to gather together. We're going to head down to the Caribbean and have a great time. Grandkids, Excellent. kids, and all the rest of that. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I know it'll be in contrast to what you've been seeing and doing, especially over this last year or so. Um, can I ask you to, to, to start um, with an overall you know, landscape analysis. You've been out on the road. You've been sure. talking to a lot of folks in media. But as we head, you know, a week away from Christmas, um, it, it feels like conflict, to use your, your your book title, is our new normal. But can you give us an overall global assessment of, of where you think our world is going into this holiday season? Yeah, conflict, and I guess, unfortunately, is all too tragically timely right now. Uh, I think to set the global context, uh, I would observe that the U.S. and our allies and partners around the world face a greater number of challenges and more complex challenges than at any time since the end of World War II. Uh, if you think about the U.S. as the guy in the circus uh, who gets a plate spinning and then another one and another one, and, and pretty soon you have a whole tent full of plates spinning, uh, and we have allies and partners that help us keep various of these plates spinning, but the plates representing the challenges, the threats, the issues with which we have to deal. I think you have the largest number of plates, and again, plates that represent the most complex issues uh, since the end of World War II. Uh, there obviously is an enormous China plate. It's the most important relationship in the world. We can't let it wobble. Uh, there is still a North Korea plate. There is an Iran nuclear program plate. There's also an Iran support to Shia militia plate. There's an Iran drone and missile uh, threat plate. There are individual plates representing specific Islamist extremist organizations on which we still need to keep an eye and pressure. The Russia plate obviously has gotten much more worrisome uh, over the past two years with the new invasion uh, of Ukraine uh, early last year. Uh, there are other challenges out there, whether they're cyber uh, threats that have manifested themselves from all kinds of different actors or nation states or criminal ent entities. Uh, there are non-state actors, including extremists and, and others. Um, there are challenges that emanate from climate change, uh, more extreme weather events, uh, and so forth. So 
again, you look at this tent in which all of these different plates are spinning and it gives you a bit of pause, noting that again, the challenges are very, very substantial. And the US, in my view, uh, has a unique responsibility to help keep those plates spinning, again, together with partners and allies. But we do it for a very simple reason. This is not for charity. This is because it's in our national security interest and in our economic interest. This is about our security and our prosperity. And that's why we do what we do. And I think we need to do that. Uh, we are the indispensable leader nation in that regard. Sir, do you feel like the world can count on us to be that right now? You talk a lot about the need for strategic leadership, and I want to get a little deeper on that in, in, in the questions to come. But right now, it, it feels like those polls holding up the plates are pretty wobbly. Our Congress is divided. Zelensky just left with nothing. Israel has now become a very divisive issue in this country. You know, Biden is unpopular. When you travel the world, uh, you know, do you feel like the world can count on us right now and they feel like they can count on us? Well, there are concerns about uh, the U.S. There are concerns about what's going on in Washington. I do think eventually that we're going to get bipartisan agreement. We have bipartisan agreement on the need to continue to support Ukraine. The problem is that the structure of the House uh, and the very, very uh, small Republican majority uh, with some members of that party uh, that are opposed to this prevent it from even getting to the floor in a specific way. So certainly there are challenges uh, from our domestical, domestic political situation uh, from the degree of partisanship that you see. But we've been through tough times before in this, this regard, uh, many tough times. We generally have come through it quite well. Uh, and frankly, on the economic front, we're doing surprisingly well. Um, we'll see if there is a soft landing or any recession or what happens, but the the doomsayers so far uh, have been proven uh, incorrect in their predictions. Uh, inflation has come down in an encouraging manner, and yet the labor market is still very robust. Unemployment is is still quite low historically. And again, the country is generally doing uh, quite well in that regard. Uh, so, yep, there's lots of challenges. Some of them have to do with our domestic political situation and the situation on Capitol Hill in particular. But eventually, I think we're going to have a package that will provide substantial assistance for Ukraine, for Israel, <clears throat> for the, the southern border with Mexico to improve security there. Uh, and likely for uh, Taiwan as well. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back after this. And now, back to our conversation. Sir, it, uh, it, it feels like the, the case for Ukraine is having to be made over again, especially because of the, the resistance in, in Congress. Biden has been um, you know, vocal and consistent in calling for support for Ukraine, now may have to make compromises on the border in order to get that. But can you can you give, again, your strategic assessment of Ukraine right now, why it's important to the average American, someone who might not be deep into foreign policy or might not have a military background in your in your um, in your expertise? Why is it important for America right now? And, and how do you see this this winter in Ukraine in this next six months or so uh, developing from a military and strategic standpoint? Well, first of all, again, I think it's important to re recall that there is a bipartisan majority, very, very strong in the Senate, 
Uh, in fact, some of the biggest champions for Ukraine are on the minority side, on the Republican side in the Senate. So there's very, very strong support for Ukraine there. That doesn't mean that they're not trying to use the leverage that that provides to gain some agreement on some issues having to do with our southern border. Uh, and again, that's the way our political system works. Uh, there's a bipartisan majority in the House uh, for support for Ukraine. The problem is that the party that has the majority has a very slim majority, and there's a handful of individuals in that uh, party who are against this and question it. And so that makes it difficult. But again, I think we're going to get through this, uh, and there will be a very substantial package for Ukraine, for Israel, for the southern border, and probably for Taiwan in that package as well. Now, so as to the, the you know, what, why? Because it's in our national security interest to do so. Uh, if Russia succeeds in Ukraine, it's not going to stop there. It'll keep on going. The next country might be Moldova, which is not a NATO nation, or it could be Lithuania, which is a NATO nation. And then we would be together with our NATO allies embroiled in something far worse. Uh, beyond that, the Ukrainians aren't asking for our men and women in uniform. They are doing the fighting uh, for their country. This is their war of independence. That's how they see it, their war of survival. Uh, We've gotten an enormous return on investment. We've provided about $44 billion in security assistance so far to Ukraine over a two-year period uh, with a defense budget that in aggregate for two years would be somewhere around $1.7, $1.8 trillion. We can afford this easily. And they have destroyed something like 60% of the Russian tank fleet. Uh, now, I should note, Europe has stepped up increasingly. They have now provided more than what we have provided in security assistance, just a bit more in terms of the pledges than we have pledged. They've provided much, much more when it comes to economic, humanitarian, uh, and financial assistance. So again, the Europeans are very much invested in this. Uh, we have often asked them to share the burden, and I think that they are doing just that in this case, and that's appropriate. It's much closer to their doorstep than it is to ours, but we are the leader of NATO as we are the leader of the free world. Uh, and again, it's great to see us play that role in this case, especially as our European partners are following suit. And I should just note, you know, Putin set out to make Russia great again. What he's really done is make NATO great again. He's actually, his aggressive actions in Ukraine, a brutal, unprovoked invasion uh, that is stems from a twisted, grievance-filled revanchist and revisionist view of history uh, has actually led to historically neutral countries to seek to join NATO, Finland and Sweden, which have quite capable military forces, by the way. They were part of the coalition that I was privileged to lead in Afghanistan. So uh, again, this is a very important effort to us and to our NATO allies and to the Western world. Borders cannot be allowed to be redrawn uh, on the basis of orders from uh, the kind of uh, authoritarian uh, dictator that Vladimir Putin is. So you, you teach strategic leadership. You and I have had conversations about strategic leadership. You talk about the four pillars of, of strategic leadership. Can you talk about Zelensky specifically? Because it feels like he got the big idea right. And it feels like he's been masterful in, in organizing the world in support of, of Ukraine. Do you see it the same way? How do you evaluate him? And, you know, a scenario, if, if there wasn't Zelensky, I don't know where we'd be. Maybe there'd be another leader who could step into that hole. But it feels like he uniquely has risen to this moment and demonstrated a kind of strategic leadership we haven't seen too often, at least in, in my lifetime. 
He's been a very impressive strategic leader. He's performed the four tasks of a strategic leader uh, superbly. He's gotten the big ideas right. He's communicated them effectively through the breadth and depth of his country and to all others who have a stake in the outcome of this conflict. He's overseen the implementation of the big ideas very impressively. And he's determined how you need to refine the big ideas and do it again and again. It has not been flawless, but it has been very, very impressive. His first big idea, remember, was I don't want to ride. I want ammunition. Right. I'm going to stay in Kiev. My family's going to stay in Kiev. We're going to defend Kiev to the end, keeping in mind that Putin's overriding objective was to take Kiev, topple the government, and replace Zelensky with a pro-Russian figure. Obviously failed. They lost the battle of Kiev and many of the other early battles uh, throughout the course of, of last year. Uh, and the Ukrainians were actually able to roll them back, uh, not just in Kiev, but in Sumy, Chernihiv, Kharkiv, Kharkiv province, and then all the forces that Russia had that were east or that were west of the Dnipro River pushed them back across. Unfortunately, the summer offensive did not uh, achieve its objectives. But again, Zelensky has throughout all of this been very, very impressive. Uh, he's also been an incredible communicator. He's been described as Churchill with an iPhone. He has had very, very differentiated and impressive uh, messages that resonated with the House of Commons, the Bundestag, our Congress, etc. cetera. Uh, he's inspired his own people uh, repeatedly, and he's had quite a brilliant example, energy inspiration when it comes to overseeing the implementation of the big ideas, especially in contrast to Putin, who's seated at the end of a long marble table uh, with the minions way down there where you almost need a microphone to be heard uh, where he is. Uh, Zelensky, on the other hand, has been on the front lines. He's been in Bakhmut. He's been in Zaporizhia. You know, he took off his suit and put on an OD uniform, which he's worn ever since, uh, various uh, varieties of those different uniforms. So, again, very impressive, but the war is not over. Uh, and it has become a, a stalemate. The Russians, in fact, are back on the offensive right now, uh, taking terrible casualties, but gradually uh, taking modest amounts of ground. Uh, and it looks as if they're going to try to continue to do that this winter, as they did last winter, without enormous success, but with great casualties. Uh, and Ukraine is going to have to uh, strengthen its own defenses uh, in the face of this offensive, and we desperately need to provide additional assistance to them, as do our European, uh, NATO, and other uh, allied partners. Sir, as we look at those plates spinning, obviously the other another big one is Gaza and Israel. It, it, it obviously Israel has a, a right and an obligation to defend themselves. They've communicated that they want to eliminate Hamas, but it feels like Netanyahu. Uh, isn't having the same kind of strategic leadership success in communicating and, and maybe even just getting the big idea right. At least to me, it seems like he's communicated that they want to get Hamas, but not communicated what happens after that. Um, how do you see it? How do you see where, where Gaza and Israel are right now, and specifically Netanyahu's uh, ability or, or skill in communicating so far and, and, and what's likely to be an even more difficult time ahead? Well, there are two big ideas that have been very clearly articulated so far. Uh, destruction of Hamas, which I think is appropriate. This is a terrorist army equivalent of the Islamic State. Yes, there's a Palestinian national component. Uh, but again, this is not a force that can be uh, dealt with in any other way than capturing or, if necessary, killing them. 
Uh, and then also to topple the Hamas political league, so to take down the government, if you will, of uh, Gaza. Uh, but there do need to be some additional big ideas. The Israeli government's working very, very hard on trying to formulate these. Uh, what will govern Gaza uh, after Hamas is gone and after Hamas has been destroyed? Um, what is a lot of the Palestinian people in Gaza going to be while you're at it? Perhaps uh, do a bit more on on the situation for the Palestinians in the West Bank uh, after this is all dealt with. Uh, and then how do you keep Hamas from reconstituting uh, once they've been destroyed? So uh, these are very significant issues. The Israelis are keenly aware of this. I was just in the Middle East uh, a bit over a week ago at a conference which included a number of uh, former senior Israeli officials, a prime minister, in fact, a former chief of staff of the uh, Israeli Defense Forces, etc., and also a former Palestinian prime minister. They're wrestling with that. They know they've got to develop answers to that. The U.S. Uh, is working to try to help them with that. Uh, but I fear that it may be necessary for Israel to occupy, reoccupy Gaza, something they left, of course, in 2005 for a reason they don't want to reoccupy. We don't want them to do that. But I, I'm afraid that that may end up being the only possible outcome, at least for a period of time, until they can help to develop a competent, capable, and trustworthy Palestinian uh, entity that can govern Gaza once again, in, in a way that Hamas did not, and ensuring that Hamas is not able to reconstitute or you'll have to go through all of this again. This is an extraordinarily difficult uh, battlefield. The context, I think, is more challenging than any urban combat since the end of World War II. Yes, there is Mariupol in Ukraine and some others, uh, Huawei during Vietnam and so on. But this is an enemy who doesn't wear a uniform, who uses uh, civilians as human shields, has hundreds of miles of tunnel uh, underground, is holding still well over 100 hostages, uh, at some point is going to start blowing themselves up to take Israelis with them. So a very, very challenging context in which to fight, a very difficult and substantial mission to accomplish, and that still begs the answers to these additional questions. It still requires these additional big ideas. And of course, as you clear and hold, you've got to figure out how you're going to take care of the civilians. You've got to minimize uh, innocent loss of life, uh, which means very precise uh, operations. And again, all of this in that setting could not be more difficult. Sir, as, uh, as all this unfolds, we've got the race for president back here in the United States. I know you don't get involved in domestic politics, but you've advised presidents You've, I'm sure, been asked or you, you've at least been on lists for possible presidential candidates. Can I ask you from a strategic standpoint, whether it's Trump, Biden or somebody else, in your view, given all these other components, what's the big idea that the next president has to get right? Well, in foreign policy terms, I think it's to recognize that U.S. leadership in the world is still exceedingly important and that there is no substitute for it that we exercise that leadership, not for charitable reasons, but because it's in our national security and economic interest to do so, uh, that we should and, and will value allies and partners and, and nurture those relationships uh, because they're hugely important. Uh, uniquely, the U.S., if you look at some of our 
adversaries and potential adversaries, you don't see large numbers of allies and partners uh, aligning themselves with them. So that's a, a unique feature uh, of the United States and our actions in the world. Uh, but again, that leadership is important. Uh, the world needs to be able to count on it um, because without it, there is no substitute. Sir, fi final question, and I appreciate your time. Um, many folks are concerned this holiday with, with the rise of, of friction in the United States, the lack of uh, political unity, the, the ongoing conflict around the world, not as a general, but as a grandfather, as someone who's an elder statesman to this country. What's your message if you were commanding forces this holiday uh, for folks that are fearing, uh, you know, this this constant state of conflict? What's your holiday message to America and especially to young people who are looking at this situation and, and maybe find it daunting? Uh, the message is that we're privileged to live in the greatest country in the world, a country that has had many trials and tribulations over the centuries, uh, some of which in included an actual civil war. Uh, others have included domestic unrest of various types. Um, we have challenges right now without question, keep them in perspective. Our institutions have held strong over the centuries um, and have faith that we are gonna get through the current challenges and there will be future challenges, uh, but also uh, feel very grateful for being in a place to which so many citizens of the rest of the world are trying to get uh, because of the situations in which they find themselves looking at the opportunities that are here in the United States. Uh, and for all of the, again, the different issues that are out there, the issues that divide us, uh, issues that are very emotional, um, issues that are highly partisan and are being played on by uh, different political figures uh, in our system and in our society for all of that. Again, recognize the extraordinary blessings that we enjoy in so many different ways and the genius of the political system that was developed by our founders, again, for all of the shortcomings that they have as well, uh, and take heart uh, at this Christmas season and give thanks uh, for where it is we're privileged to live uh, and our fellow Americans with whom we are privileged to be neighbors. Well, we've been privileged to have you on this program. I've been privileged to know you. Thank you for your leadership, your voice, your clarity. Um, I, I wish you and your family a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and a good rest because we're going to need you in, in 2024 and beyond. But General David Petraeus, thank you for joining me and, and for all you do, sir. Thanks, Paul, and all best to you and yours. Throughout this year, I've tried to bring you iconic, important, and inspiring leaders that can give you analysis, perspective, and experience you can't find anywhere else. All different backgrounds, all different industries, and every single one of them, each in their own way, is a helper. Always look for the helpers. There, were, there will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. If you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. We've been looking for the helpers all year long, 
And if you haven't gone back and heard some of our earlier episodes, there's a whole slew of inspiring and important ones that you should check out over this holiday break. You've got one more holiday gift coming from me that you've come to expect from this show every single year. Next week, we will have our annual Festivus episode with the great and powerful Jason Alexander. Our friend, Jason Alexander, the thoughtful, heartfelt, amazing, funny, dynamic man, will rejoin us again for his annual Festivus visit to close out 2023. It's going to be a great one. Tell your friends to tune in. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe so you can get that first. And be sure to go to independentamericans.us where you can join our Patreon community. You can give the gift of Independent Americans gear this holiday, whether it's Hanukkah, Christmas, or Festivus. You can also give us a gift here at Righteous and become a member of our Patreon community where you'll get behind-the-scenes looks, you'll get extra media content, you'll get updates from me, and you'll get shows early in advance and without ads. So check it out at independentamericans.us and be sure to follow us on all social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube page. It's been a wild year, folks. We want to continue to bring you content that brings you tremendous value and brings you some positivity to guide you through these difficult times. I hope you and your family are having a very happy holiday season and can look forward to one more special treat from us coming next week. Our independent movement is the hope for the future. Country over party, people over politics, light over heat, disrupting the status quo and fueling a new movement that spans across our society and especially through the holidays. I hope you enjoyed this episode with General Petraeus. If you did, please share it far and wide. It's a free gift you can give everyone this holiday season. Invite others to declare their independence. And stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And hope is the oxygen of democracy, especially this time of year. No, you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant, and we're all in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening all year long. Look forward to one more big hit before we close out 2023. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you so much for listening. Down with Hamas. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. Stay vigilant, America. I hope you had a very happy Hanukkah, a very festive Festivus, and Merry Christmas. Media.